Alright everybody, what's up? It's 7 October. Welcome to my podcast, Nightmare on Sedgwick Avenue. Uh, we're in season 4, episode 10, so we're at the, at the end. I'll probably do a recap episode after this one, but I really have a really great guest that I've been trying to get on uh, the show. Um, he's a film programmer and editor. Um, he's a programmer of uh, Mexico Maleficarum. I probably butchered that, but we'll go into that in a little bit when I get him on the screen here. And then he's also an instructor for uh, Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies. So that's really interesting. Um, he's all about like cinema and especially he uh, specializes in Mexican cinema, which we'll get into that in a second. But without further ado, uh, he goes by Aullidos Pantioneros, a.k.a. Abraham Castillo Flores. Hello, Abraham. Hola. How are you? It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, as you said, thank you. You've been we've been uh, playing cat and mouse to get in touch. So I'm very happy that we're uh, having this conversation. Yeah, thank you. And um, obviously I gave your intro, but is there anything I missed or anything that um, you want to introduce yourself as well? Like anything that you want to share with the listeners and the viewers about yourself? Uh, I think you said it uh, very well. I'd like to call <laughs> myself a preacher of freaky cinema. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> which is my uh, preferred mode of, of, of explaining what I do. But uh, yes, also, I have a deep uh, reverence and mission to promote Mexican horror cinema and fantasy cinema throughout the world, which uh, I need, needs, I think needs a bit more love. And yes. uh, it's, uh, there's treasures to be discovered. And... Uh, you know, films are not happy to be in vaults and, and uh, you know, archives. They need to go out and, like, show yes. their magic. So yeah, that's what I'm all about. That's cool. And how did you get into, um, like, let's start from the beginning. Like, how did you get into film and, and cinema and all that stuff? Well, my father had this thing when I was very little. He would like to go to matinees, uh, and he would always bring me. And uh, I was usually probably watching stuff I should not should not be watching. So I remember <laughs> I was very scared of certain movies or, or got very tense. You really like some karate, you know, karate and action stuff that was very bloody from Hong Kong. And I remember being like, oh my God, and being a bit scared, <laughs> but also, you know, I got, I really liked it after a while. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I got obsessed with that. Then my grandmother was obsessed with like legends and she showed me Macario when I was very young. And oh yeah, that's a good film. That did it. Uh, you really kind of opened the doors but then also for a time I was not as keen and uh, in love with Mexican cinema because I actually kind of looked at all the you know the, the, the bad special effects or I was looking at the, the stuff that has made it infamous yes. uh, and it took me a while to come back um, mm -hmm. realize how important it is to watch how all these people made majestic films and wonderful uh, ex cinematic experiences with what they had and yeah. that started to like really you know grow on me and I decided that it was very important to not only chart that history but also to to share it you know because uh, you know Mexican cinema has a you know has been uh, getting a bigger reputation as the years go by and we have yeah. incredible filmmakers that are now in the you know in the international arena and they have incredible stuff but this comes back. This is these people did not come out of nowhere, no? yeah. And I'm I'm very I'm obsessed with like tracking down the history of our of our films, not only for myself because but also because I want to share that information so it doesn't just stay 
in books. And uh, I also thought it was important to get a perspective from someone who's from Mexico. Um, yeah. You know, because there are incredible scholars from the U.S. that have that you know have been giving love to Mexican cinema and uh, for for a while, and they're amazing, and I think their work is super important. But I thought you know I could you know also give my take. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty cool, and I like that the fact that like you said. Mexican cinema there's a lot of like obscure films or like just films that a lot of people haven't seen or you know are like aware of them so it's kind of cool that you're bringing light to them and well that kind of leads me to like the uh, Mexico Malefic how do you even say it Maleficarum um, Maleficarum um, yeah how did that start and how did how, what was like your intention when you you know started that and what has it become now well that was a beautiful and incredible uh how would I say, like the planets aligned somehow. Yeah. Uh, as, as you know, I've been, I have, I've given uh, uh, talks about Mexican cinema, both in the States and in Canada, and uh, I'm currently working on a book, so I have this whole uh, thing about promoting Mexican horror cinema. But then at one point, uh, the Academy Museum reached out and they told me that they were very interested in Mexican horror cinema, and they wanted to see if we could uh, work, you know, yeah. uh, collaborate on a, on a series. I, of course, got ultra excited because, you know, bringing these um, magical films to that space, uh, which is not only open to the history of cinema, but the definition of what cinema is right now, I thought it was incredible. So I, of course, jumped at the uh, opportunity and we collaborated to create this series where we could honor these yeah. films, um, their filmmakers, the actors, but also try to group them on a new viewpoint to me it was very important that we uh saw movies that were uh, about you know the occult this idea with uh, uh the devil being that we're such a catholic country it has yeah. like a flip side and i was very interested on that on like the peace side how does that catholic country with you know uh where you know there were censorship uh, ideas you can do certain things how did uh, all these anxieties about uh, what lies beyond death and, you know, what is the, the dark side or, the, you know, the devil, how do we portray it and how we've been doing that through the years? And yeah. that was very important. And also to take a step away from luchador movies, uh, not because we don't like, I don't like them, but because I think though they have such an incredible popularity. They don't need, I don't think they need more help. No, they, they yeah. have a, a power and a might of their own. And I was interested also for uh, for American audiences to realize and consider that there was a lot of uh, genre and horror pictures that went beyond the luchadores. No, we only, of the 20 films, we only had one that had luchadores, which I, I think they're important and a pillar, definitely. But yeah. I, I thought it was important to branch out. Yes, that's really good. And how did you how do you get like the the actors? Because I know you had a few that you had there that you got to interview, which was really cool. How do you get those people, or do you have like connections, or how did that work? <laughs> one of the one of the interesting things of uh, of programming movies is that you end up without kind of, you know, it's not in the job description, but you end up learning a lot of detective stuff. You have to like not only be curious, yeah. to be persistent. And to be looking and, you know, you kind of have a network of people you know, you start asking around mm -hmm. and then you have to do tons of internet searches, tons of emails that go unanswered and then you go and do it again, yeah. again and again <laughs> until someone answers. You know yeah. a little bit about that, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, you know, it was kind of like, you know, from the resources I had, asking and then also 
until somebody was like, okay, we need to answer this gentleman because he's going to keep bugging us. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm very good at. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I know this year you had like a few, um, I think uh, you had a, a Lucarda. I saw um, some, uh, I forget this one, the, the Hadas. I forget what's, uh, what is the Veneno de Hadas. Veneno or? para las Hadas. Pa veneno para las Hadas. Yes, so uh, you had like a good lineup, and I think you had some of the, um, I think for Alucarda, or I forgot which film it was, you had one of the actresses. She's like, a, she's in well, novelas. For example, for that, yeah, sorry that I interrupt. For no, example, no, we had uh, Rosita Arenas uh, yes. from um, A Witch's Mirror, uh -huh. um, she, and who also, apart from, you know, being incredible in that film, and in La, La Maldición de la Llorona, she was married to Abel Salazar, the gentleman who was the producer an actor oh, okay. and kind of the, you know, the, the, the motor behind this renaissance of horror that came up in Mexico in the 60s yeah. uh, throughout his company, APSA, APSA Films. He, I mean, he did eight horror films that were very important, but uh, starting with El Vampiro, he kind of, he was the first one to really make a, a, a hit, a horror, something that showed that you know they had to do horror and after that a lot of other producers started to wake up to the possibilities so yeah. it's very important on, on, on that on that uh, not only historically but you know as in the part of the industry and rosita arenas was right there so it was yeah. very important that we could talk to her and, and you know kind of honor her legacy she's yeah. that she's like she's 89 years old and she's oh, in wow. great shape she's an incredible lady so smart elegant um beautiful you know she has incredible recollections and also the elegance and like the she's a star you know you, yeah. you talk to these people and you realize okay this is a star she yeah. she wasn't you know in, in, on screen with Pedro Infante uh, yeah. Luis Aguilar uh, you know top top people of, of, of her era yeah and uh I remember that at some point you know I was kind of trying to see if like she wanted to have some stories or you know certain yeah. uh, she could have like something juicy and she was like no 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 it's like you don't understand i love everybody i've ever worked with and i only have good things to to, to say about <laughs> everybody this is it's a magical thing and i yeah. i really learned a lot and she was so uh generous with her yeah. experiences that uh to me was beautiful it was definitely one of the highlights but then again for example uh you said about the other guests at the middle of the of mexico Mexicano, i had the incredible chance to talk to a woman that not only do I admire, but mm -hmm. I think she's a phenomenal actress, Miss Blanca Guerra from Santa Sangre. Yeah, that's what I was talking her, about. Yeah, I saw her. Yeah, Concha, yeah. Santa Sangre. Yeah. I was transfixed and I was like <laughs> so happy that an, a Mexican actress in a Jodorowsky movie and doing such a crazy, gutsy uh, role where not only the passions and excesses of the Hoverovsky universe uh, come in, in full mode, but also she's like she shows that she's a you know a power to to uh, to to deal with, and she kind of channels this idea of the bad mother of the of you know the fear of the feminine in a way that I don't think anybody has done, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, and then in the last, last yeah. exactly, uh -huh. and then in the last part of the of Mexico Manificar. We had uh, Shaula Vega, the daughter of Isela Vega, the director, uh, co-writer and producer of the film, uh, you know, join us uh, to give a lecture because as uh, people know, uh, know, or maybe they don't know, Ms. Isela Vega, who uh, wrote, directed, and produced The Lovers of the Lord of the Night, which is the first folk horror film uh, directed by a woman in Mexico. Oh, wow. 
Oh, wow. uh, she is no longer with us. She passed away in twenty in twenty twenty. But uh, you know, we had her daughter join us to celebrate the, the month. Okay, that's pretty cool. I, need, I haven't seen that one. I need to check it out then. I, I saw it on the... Yeah, well, that's the one of the ones we're working on to get more because that film was actually... How would, it was not lost. It was mm-hmm. in a vault. In a vault. It hadn't been touched since 1986. Oh, wow. And one of the beautiful things that Mexico Maleficarum allowed, uh, allowed me was to do the detective work, to find not only a print, but to figure out all the you know legal entanglements yeah. that it had so we could use it and we could... And uh, yeah, it was quite an adventure that is yeah. still ongoing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, what what I want to see because I gr- I grew up in like the the eighties, so like I'm like a fan of like the eighties Mexican horror. But uh, one thing I like miss was Ernesto Alonso, who had the like one of the first supernatural like novelas, like El Maleficio. Like that needs to get out of the the vault because I'm like I never Absolutely. watched it. <laughs> I only watched clips. Oh, yeah. on YouTube. Let us. I am so happy you brought Mr. Alonso into the mix. Let us. <laughs> Take a moment to talk about this wonderful man because I don't know if our if your audience is well aware of him. Mr. Ernesto Alonso, better known as Mr. Telenovela, yeah. was a film actor. Started as a really cool film actor from the 40s and the 50s. Yeah. Then in the late 50s, I mean, he did also incredible films. He has one of the, if people have not watched The Criminal Life of Archivaldo de la Cruz, you have to watch that. Ensayo de un crimen, yeah. it's called okay. in Spanish. And it's the story of a serial killer, but with his mind. He's always thinking about how he's going to kill people around him, but uh-huh. he never ki- he doesn't kill them. So oh, the wow. film goes into this dichotomy of what's going on in his mind and how he's preparing to kill someone, uh-huh. but then something happens and he's not able to. Oh, and wow. it's delightful. And it's a kinky <laughs> film, very kinky, yeah. uh, for its time as well, and imaginative and, and perverse, wonderful film. Yeah. And then he de- uh, at some point he went into uh, television and he became like the most important producer of telenovelas, but mm-hmm. he loved genre. And yeah. he made the first horror telenovela in 1962 yep. for the Mummies of Guanajuato. That's, yeah, I forgot they about that. They made a telenovela out of that, and in a studio, they would like make these mummies, and every every uh, episode, they would like zoom into the mummy, and then they would tell the story of 100 years ago, this blah, blah, blah happened, until they died. And the next chapter would be <laughs> that. And that was oh, wow. 62. And then in 1980, he made El Maleficio, which is the, the telenovela you're talking about, which yes. is this guy was supposed to be Enrique de Martino, who's an industrialist in Mexico, but he was the head of the mafia, the New York mafia in Mexico. And yeah. he, uh, he of course, had dealt uh, dealings uh, with the devil, and he had a picture, uh, ba- Bael, in his office, where he would do like dark rites and everything. And this was on yeah. open television, 8 o'clock. Yeah, that on, was weird. On Channel 2. <laughs> oh, no, it was, and he had like was magic were the enemies there was like an indian uh, like an indigenous woman uh, yeah. that, that used to be his first wife oh, wow. they had a son of course yeah. uh, and you would oh, see her true, with like all true. the indigenous scroll that it was incredible and scary like for me it was scary as hell um <laughs> it had you know it had a, a ghost child a, a dog that would a black dog that would appear yeah. and, and only the people that were uh, being chased by the devil or the enemy could see them um it had all this crazy stuff. It was incredible. And you could watch it on open television. That was really cool. Yeah, it always that reminded me like this. Yeah, the story reminded me of like Dorian Gray, like the Mexican version with the whole, with the picture and everything, like the devil pact and everything. I was like, it was really good. Was no, really and good. he had this, no, he, he was a swat man, you know, big mustache and he had like this silk robes, very elegant. 
yeah lots of luxury and the 80s at that point in mexico we were in a deep economic crisis and the idea that this man was like in cahoots with the devil and he was like perverting all the people around him <laughs> and you know uh his first wife had you know first wife was his enemy the the, the indigenous woman then the next wife was an alcoholic uh, oh, yeah. because she couldn't deal with like dealing with this guy and then the third wife which is the the one story is like we see how her kids are slowly perverted into the into the dark side and she's yeah. trying to bring the family uh, you know out from his grips and it was it was delightful and yeah. uh, i mean his life if there's if somebody made a biopic of his life i mean there's tons of uh, legal stuff where they probably haven't done it but his life is like incredible really interesting incredible. yeah yeah rest in peace to him yeah he was a legend um... oh yeah <laughs> yes uh, and where where did um what would you say is your like favorite like Mexican horror film? Since we're talking about horror in specific, what would be your it, your it's, favorite? It's very hard. It's very hard. <laughs> or top there's, five. I mean, there's so there's so many, <laughs> but I would have to say, for example, from the Mexico Malexicano uh, mm-hmm. section, I would say so hard. But for example, there's one called The Black Pit of Doctor M, Misterios de la Tumba, which okay. is basically it's a ghost movie. But I think it's one of the best ghost movies ever because it is so it's so dark and it goes, goes so intense. And it's this idea of uh, two doctors and they're working in an, uh, in an insane asylum, and they make a they make a gentleman's pact, which is the first one who dies mm-hmm. needs to come back from the uh, from the underworld to tell the other what's behind what's beyond that. Oh, wow. And that's like the motor. That's the starting point of the movie. And she goes just to get this knowledge, which mm-hmm. you know men should not know. Everything <laughs> goes dark. Everything goes terribly wrong, and it's delightful and it's perverse and it's dark. <laughs> and it's from the same gentleman that did uh, El Vampiro, okay. uh, Fernando Mendes, which is one of our you know uh, patron saints of, of, of genre. And for some reason, that movie doesn't get the recognition that The Vampire does, uh, and that one is like amazing. At the same time, for example, films like El Espejo de la Bruja, The Witch's Mirror, mm-hmm. which is, I think, so bonkers and it makes mm-hmm. so many things and uh, it just does it with a glee and a passion that is yeah. incredible. Uh, but I, and I can go on, for example, La Lucarda as well. I mean, La Lucarda is such yes. an important uh, development of Mexican cinema, the excesses it goes and just design wise, and uh, it breaks so many taboos and it. I mean, it kind of killed the career of the director, but it also cemented mm-hmm. his legacy. And uh, because no one has, I, I don't think in Mexican cinema has reached those heights in terms of doing a, a an exploitation satanic movie. And yeah. uh, wherever you put it, and you know, I hadn't watched it in the theater, I have to say. And watching it in the Academy Museum big, yeah. once again, was incredible and, and, and majestic. And you can see that the man, and the man and all the people behind it really hit on a nerve and hit on a on something very special yeah but there's tons and see that's the beauty you start <laughs> discovering and one of the things that i like the most is i have like my set of things that i like and my preferences uh-huh. but you start digging or you start rewatching stuff and then you put it in context and you realize whoa this person did something that nobody had tried before or they are doing this and it connects to other stuff so my list keeps changing all the time yeah. um <laughs> For example, there's a movie that couldn't be with us uh, called uh, La Cabeza Viviente, The Living Head, which uh-huh. is the story of a beheaded Aztec general. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. 
and he has like you know like his uh, his enforcer who's like carrying the head and they're <laughs> trying to track down all the archaeologists the scientists that uh, open up the tomb and it's 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 bonkers crazy but also this idea of using like the aztec uh, mythology even yeah. if it's not historically correct but using that in the context of a horror movie uh, i think it's masterful and uh, and and beautiful and also using our our hispanic past for horror stories i think it's it's fantastic and it's like something it's kind of obvious but for some reason not so many people do it and yeah. uh, literature i have to say these days there's an incredible author called bernardo skinha who's been doing it more and more and more they even did uh recently uh, a tv series from one of his books called toda la sangre okay. um but it's that guy is like he's definitely into something that he really tapped into that and uh, there's so many stories that they could you know bring from that it's just yeah. our past is so rich in excesses in you know horror dark stories that you know from wherever you can you know you turn the stone and there's a story <laughs> yeah and also yeah. with the present in mexico which is so dark and you know horrible and i mean this in the not in a oh yeah or no this like horrible like the, the drug thing here is like crazy the drug wars um but there are also that you touch on that and there's so many uh, spooky stories that also comment uh from where we are right now and how things got so uh fucked up we, yeah. we can can i say that or no? yeah no you're fine <laughs> okay so yeah sorry i, I kind of got carried away as no, you're right. good and uh, yeah i like that um and i was gonna say too like what are your thoughts on like uh because we talk about horror but there's also like you know this sub genres too like there are in, in the u.s like for me i love horror comedy like for you what, what are your thoughts on ho the horror comedy like the for example like ermelinda you know Capul capulina like back you know in the 60s 70s like what are your thoughts on those films i think they're delightful they're i mean they really i think they really nailed this uh, idea of going bonkers and like the excess of like Okay, we have these horror tropes. Let's let's turn them around. And yes, they are ridiculous. Yes, they are super <laughs> silly. Yeah. And I mean, I have to say, at some point, at the beginning, I was very, you know, oh no, that's bad. That's like very trashy. But then <laughs> you realize, not only no, but people forget the importance of making people laugh and making people afraid are basically kind of uh, the same thing because. That's true. Comedy and horror, I think, are the only genres that when they work, your body reacts. Like yeah. you, you burst out laughing. You cannot control a laugh. The same as when you're like scared and you're like, you know, you, your back of your hair start or like you, you get scared or you, you want to close your eyes. You don't control that. And I think sure. that's beautiful. And when a, a film or a whichever narrative makes you do that, it's magical. It's fantastic. It's like the best things about cinema because it's working and you cannot control your response to that. And uh, comedies and horror do that. And, you know, going back, Hermelinda, este, Capulina, but also the Pepito and Chabelo contra los monstruos. That, yeah. that kind of, it's delightful. And it's or also Chiqui like- Dracula. <laughs> exactly, Chiqui Dracula as well, yeah. for example, no? Yeah. Like who would imagine? Well, here we do, no, of course, no? Aquí los Mexicanos, yeah. we turn it around and things that are, could not be funny or should not go. And I have to say, it's not that we discovered it. I mean, for example, in the States, Abbott and Costello are kind of, you know, the firm ambassadors of that kind of, of comedy. Uh, yeah. But it also, it brings, it brings families into cinema because it's very important. The child, you know, the children audience is very important. And you have to, when you're a child, you, you kind of like 
the the scary stuff, but it needs to be in certain. You cannot go all the way crazy. You cannot go yeah. all the way bloody. I mean, I understand that. I used to like. I was the kind of kid that when I was little, I was very scared of horror movies. I was a very scary cat. I like. I really kind of got later into my life. I, you know, like at six, seven, ten, twelve, I would mm-hmm. not touch certain certain stuff because I was. But you also get like you want to watch or you want to tread that water a little bit. And these comedies that you mentioned, that's what they're good for. They kind of give you an inkling of that of that uh, dimension in a safe yeah. way, where you can watch them. They're a little scary, but then you can also laugh. And you have and you also I think learn to start learning with uh, to deal with your fright with what's scary. That's a little true. bit like the, with um, fairy tales. There are ways to ease children into the nightmare of, of, of real life horrors, which you know we cannot control and they just keep on growing. But we need these stories and I, I really think they, they, they serve that purpose. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, for you, like what is what does fear mean to you? Like we just talk, kinda talked about it right now, but for you what does it mean and why do you think like uh, us as horror fans like love being scared like what, what do you think it is that we like so much about i, I think it's a, i think it's i mean we all have different i mean the stuff that we each fear yeah. we all have you know as human beings we all kind of share certain uh fears and everything but the thing about fear is that it becomes a mirror you know things that scare us is because they they, they, they put you in front of, of something uh, of you that you either have not fully realized or there's still a conflict or that itches you that creates like a burning uh, yeah. and little by little i think i mean i think all of us have each of us have a different definition but it helps you a little bit to either overcome that or to start dealing with that trauma or that you know scared or something that hurts you it, it eases you off on that and uh also fear is it's i think a great it's a great motor to do stuff no that's true so, <laughs> Fear of death, fear of age, fear of, of it's it's important to like also I think to dissect it to, to kind of analyze it because if we just let you know fear define you, it you either it either paralyzes you or you become a monster yourself trying to defend. You no, know? how do they say in Dune that uh, you know you you there's this thing of, of Dune that like about fear being the mind killer and you yeah. have to kind of like let the fear kind of let it let it go through you so it doesn't uh you know uh, paralyze you and i think that's important but it's it's definitely not everybody wants to deal with their, their fear you know it's yeah at the beginning when i got, got into you know professionally the horror thing and you be kind of comes like yeah everybody watch horror let's with you realize very soon that not everyone wants to deal with that it's a little bit like with picante and hot you know food not everybody likes it that's true and not everybody should it's like and you have to be very respectful of people that like it and also to identify for example me as a programmer one of the things i've learned and when people ask me is like oh what's a good horror movie the first thing i ask before saying anything is what do you like or what do you dislike so i don't go into those territories because you know if they tell you oh i hate you know werewolves or i hate uh torture porn then you know okay certain titles immediately go off the board yeah and, and when you're a film programmer what you want to do is bring people into cinemas into the experience not drive them away that's true so i, I think it's a uh, you, you i mean you start learning at the beginning of course you, you want to just shock but you also learning how to cater those uh, experiences to an audience becomes a very part important part of the uh of, 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 of what you do uh 
for example, when we had Mexico Mexicanum, it was important to also, uh, you know, certain people don't want to have certain experiences or want to watch certain things. You, you let them know beforehand. So yeah. it's it's a full enjoyment and it doesn't become like a, a bad experience. No? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and um, talking about all that and stuff like that for fear, for you, what's your like greatest fear and have you overcome it or are you working on it? <laughs> working on it every single for example let me tell you rats i do not like rats oh, i mean they're nice fairy fellows and everything i had a bad experience with a rat when i was young and they still freak me out i've learned to like you know i, I see them i don't run away now and it's like okay let's keep each our, our distances and be respectful of our you know spaces but yeah i mean they still they still you know yeah. It's not that I'm gonna just like, oh, let's come have a drink with me, Mr. Rat. No, no, no. yeah, no, I'm on the Even same page as you. <laughs> for example, any, for example, still, the first time I realized, for example, uh, Ben La Rata Asesina, uh, <laughs> how do you call it in, in, in English? I think it's it's not Willard, it's the one before, which uh, one? the one that Michael Jackson uh, uh, sang the, the title song, it's a big rat. Uh, I can't remember. I think Next, I it was about. Ben La Rata Asesina. Okay. The day that thing crossed, you know, in front of me, I was scared uh -huh. shitless for a <laughs> month. Because I was like, I, you have no idea how much I suffered with that for a long, long time. <laughs> uh, so, you know, now I can, you know, there's the rats, you can see the movies and everything. But it still is like I need to to work a little bit of nerve and, and think to, to deal with them. Um, and, and so, yeah, so those, those are not, you know, <laughs> happy movies. Uh, you see, for example, so... Film, films with uh, with torture, I'm not a big fan. I mean, I understand the genre of, and I understand where it's coming from, but I'm not, like, it's not something that makes me super happy or like, as for example, and then me bringing to the other side, werewolf movies, oof, I adore. Yeah. Like the I transformations and I, I'm a geek for that. And I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy them. I'm the, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, I, I start clapping or screaming if I'm in a cinema. Yeah. Uh, just because I'm pure joy. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm. A, I love werewolf movies, but yeah, like the torture stuff, like I spit on your grave, like those where it gets to that point, I'm like, that's too, too real. I'm like, I'm, I'll, I'll stay away from those. But I see why they make them, though. Um, no, and, and I think that it's, it's terribly, terribly important. And I think, yes. for example, in terms of political discourse and to understand how, uh, you know, how it works and and also the extremes that that shows of our humanity yes it's incredible the fact that so many torture porn movies uh were made and kind of rose after september 11 it says a <laughs> lot about you know that's a time when you know torture became uh you know legal which is you know an aberration but it did and i think these movies kind of talked about about talked about these this aberration in the culture but yeah. that was actually happening and we needed somehow to digest it to kind of understand what was happening because all the emotions that were unleashed after september 11 uh you know they transformed the world and transformed many of us you know, yeah i was there i mean i was in, in new york when that happened and, I, oh, mean, wow. I mean it did i mean it changes it changes your framework and how you see things i mean yes definitely so yeah. it's but I, I, going back I think these ideas of how we deal with things, certain things we cannot understand, emotions, especially emotions, mm -hmm. I think that's a beauty part of, of, of horror films. The 
emotions that we can understand, finding them a story that gives them a framework so we can somehow go through them and make them more digestible uh, because trauma, fear, uh, it goes beyond you. You cannot understand it. You cannot yeah. uh, process it. And I think that this is why these movies are so important and so incredible. And they, they stand the test of time. Yeah, I you agree. Know? We keep yeah. going back to the vampires, to the monsters, to the creature features. Uh, you know, nature. We're afraid of nature. We've done stuff to nature. We have we we have guilt about it. It's gonna come bite us in the ass, as it probably I'm sure it will. Uh, but there, you know, there's all these stories, and uh, we're dealing with that. Yeah, that's why, and that's why I do love like horror. Like one of the the few genres that like talks about different things that we're afraid to talk about, and they use you know film to tell those stories, like you said. And same for like history, because I don't know if you ever watched this documentary. It's called like I think Nightmare Nightmares and Red, White, and Blue, or something like that. It's really good. Yes. Um, and it just talks about how like horror, if you go back all the way to like the 40s or whenever it started, it just starts from like you can see like history evolving and like these horror movies touch on everything. Like, you know, from Godzilla when they were about like, you know, the atomic bombs all the way to like now, you know, dealing with like the the um, Black Lives Matter movement. You've seen like, you know, movies like Get Out, like stuff Absolutely. like that. So it's really cool to see that, you know, like the evolution of horror. And also you can kind of like go down the the years and it's like history you know so it's really cool that's why i love this genre a lot and it connects and there's an incredible book uh, if people haven't looked at it there's a gentleman called uh, w, uh, w scott uh, pool he mm -hmm. wrote a uh, book i don't have the name right now in my, name, uh -huh. in my brain but he talks about how after world war one things radically changed in terms of like how deep and and, and how deep the the that uh, experience and mark the world in terms of the carnage and the yeah. horrible things that happened and how after that all these uh stories of horror starting erupting in cinema and uh, literature trying to deal with what had happened which was kind of unfathomable on uh -huh. you could not understand it you could not grasp and how these stories started to appear to to give it some sense yeah and uh and it, it, it's uncanny also i mean you were talking about all these movies and totally you're correct but for yeah. example, uh, Night of the Living Dead, 1968, and it touches upon so many things, yes. you know, all the racial uh, things that were happening in the States in that mm -hmm. time. And it's, I mean, also like the first uh, black hero mm -hmm. that we have, and so zombies and all social upheaval. It's like, it really touched the nerve. No? And uh, yeah. the fact that it came from a book that was about vampires, and then he kind of changed the vampires to the zombies, the zombies. from the Richard Matheson story. It also gives you this idea of how when we transpolate our, our fears into different contexts, yeah, it just touches that. the communicating vessels of all these narratives and emotions uh, is incredible. And it's yeah. beyond countries, beyond race, beyond the, because we all fear, you know, we all mm -hmm. feel fear. We're all, That's you know, <laughs> as, as different as we could be in terms of skin tones or cultures, well, you know, it's the same blood, it's the same bone, and mm -hmm. the emotions are the same. For as much as many politicians would like to tell us that it's different, or that there's uh, some people higher up than others, it's not. We're really yeah. the same. That's and true. It's, you know, and we, yeah, we're all bound by the same fears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you remember the book, let me know, because that it sounds really interesting. Um, I'll, I'll dig it up in the minutes, yes. Okay, cool. Uh, and then... 
uh, kind of going back to a little bit of you, um, you're also a um, an educator, right? Um, at the Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies. Is well, that, are you still there? And how, how did that come I, up? About? When you do like, for example, the, the beautiful thing about Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies is once you do like a presentation there or like okay. you present something, you become an instructor. No? Okay. And it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, I, I feel so <laughs> honored to be part of of Miskatonic. Uh, yeah. Here I have to say it's very important that we talk about Kierla uh, Janice, who okay. I think is one of the most uh, incredible uh, creators and a big influence in what I do. Um, not only meeting her, but you know, reading her book, uh, The House of Psychotic Women, mm-hmm. really opened uh, my mind into what being a film programmer could be and how you can channel your obsessions and uh you know what drives you into something creative that can not only inspire others but but put all these obsessions that we have mm-hmm. into a, a a useful and uh and uh, magical place i have to say and yes like for example yeah and and what she did with miskatonic bringing people that you know that were passionate about this and giving us a place where we can talk about this you know, in an academic way, seriously, without the chains of like, uh, and I want, to, and I don't want to to dismiss academic. It's just, it's I'm not in the academic realm. It's a different yes. uh, territory. But she's she found that she organized this space where mm-hmm. people from different walks of life, uh, who are deeply interested in this and have knowledge, can come and share it. And it's an incredible uh, adventure. And I think that what she has, you know, what the Miskatonic Institute has grown now into, it's, it's amazing. I am, mm-hmm. as I said, not only honored, but I think it's an incredible thing. And they keep doing incredible work. And uh, as I said, I'm, I'm delighted to be there. And also my my experience there, bringing the history of Mexican horror cinema to the LA branch. And then I did a show at the, at the Fantastic Fest, presented to Miskatonic. Was, it opened not only many doors, but it brought me to people uh that are you know that keep i keep not only in touch with but they enrich you and yeah. uh, you know finding a place that uh, this probably happens to you sometimes because of our obsessions of what we do you think you're like you know there's not that many peers around but then when you start finding people in another side of the yeah. world or in other you know or in places that would not imagine that where you can ser- share similar interests but that yeah. also bring a different opinion or a different point of view to things that you thought of a certain way and you grow as a as an individual as a person as a creator it's incredible i really treasure that and yeah miskatonic is definitely that uh, film festivals have also that no where you go and you find peers and people that are obsessed and crazy about uh, certain themes certain ideas and and you can um chat no like yeah (laughs) it's beautiful yeah, and no, I agree. And um, so is it mainly like the Miskatonic Institute? Is it mostly like online or how does that work? Or do they have like a specific well, like programming? Or well, how does before that work? the pandemic, it was like it had the branch in, in LA, New York okay. and London. Oh, okay. And they, you know, they were they, they were very on site. With okay. the pandemic, I think, and it was uh, brilliant, they brought them online. And you okay. could actually go for, and you can still do. You can attend them, any of them, and you can have a subscription to subscribe to it and they do amazing work and i think uh yeah if your listeners are you know curious go check out the miskatonic institute of horse studies uh try one of the classes also there's they've been recording them as of late so you can there's like a particular theme you want to go to or check out yeah you can you know rent it 
Um, a lot of the, of the authors, of the people that present have books, and you can check them out. And okay. uh, it's, it's amazing. And also, if you haven't seen the Kierda's film, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, look for that. Definitely. Okay. That, that, that uh, film on, on folk horror. And oh, yeah, like the documentary, right? Yes, I saw like yes. the first half. I haven't like understanding it. That, that, uh, that realm. Of, of, it's amazing and the work she did on that is, is, is incredible and also like it, it shows you a little bit of the incredible masterful uh, brain and heart that uh, Kerla has and that she puts on her work yeah that's pretty cool um, and then obviously talking about Mexican horror uh, we got to talk about this is like important to me at least for me as like a film lover uh, what are your thoughts on having more like Latino you know representation in the, the horror genre Especially like in the U.S., because obviously Mexico is a different story. But what are your thoughts? I think it's super important, uh, but but and not only for Mexicans, but also for for you know all cultures. Yes, the Mexican Latino experience in the states. I mean, it, it's you you say Latino, no, and then yeah. but the Latino uh, umbrella is there's so many different types, you know. Yeah, everybody who's you know some sometimes you know everybody anybody who speaks Spanish ends up being Latino, and even you know people from Spain will tell you, oh, like suddenly they're considered Latinos, but they're yeah. not, and they say, why is this actor who's Spanish portraying Mexicans or Cubans or Puerto Ricans? And, and it becomes it becomes uh, difficult to talk about because it's mm-hmm. I mean, it's there's so many uh, challenges to that, but yeah. having uh, having a variety of people uh, in the in the American movies, I think it's very important. Why? Because I mean, there are the films that are watched through the world uh, by by more by more people. I mean, the, the audience they have, the American movies have isn't it's, it's huge. And yeah. I think when people react and see, yeah, that's me or that looks like me, it's very important. You know, yeah. there's still people that diss it out and say, well, it doesn't matter, the tokenism, whatever. But mm-hmm. I think it's important. It leaves it mm-hmm. leaves a, a footprint, and uh, especially when you're young and you never see yeah. people like yourself or the, either your ethnicity your nation or your accent and suddenly mm-hmm. you see them on a big movie it does i think it inspires and it's very important yeah so i, I think it's important it's a mind ground but all this work that people are doing to to not have only have more latinos in, in american movies but also to give uh it, it's nice to see people from different, different uh you know Culture, bone yeah. structures yeah. and colors in movies it makes it more interesting it doesn't have to be i mean how many years we had with like the same you know uh, types of, of, of faces in, in, in American movies? And having said that, in Mexico, for example, during many many years, uh, tele- television we had the same. We had you know white people of certain type or certain blood. Yeah, There's like not that many blonde people in Mexico, yeah. and yeah. used to have certain types <laughs> of, of of women and men in telenovelas and everything because that was like. What was expected, and you know, television executive wanted for many years, and yeah. it's slowly starting to change. And you know, Mexico is also a deep. Uh, they, the racism in this country is like you know, people yeah. like talk about it, but it's there, of course, and mm-hmm. it is so kind of under the uh, under our skin that sometimes we don't even realize it, but it's there. I mean, yeah. you know, the thing with the Wakanda Forever now with the nudge, yeah. it just shows you all the passions that it it has unleashed. <laughs> Yeah. How, how crazy it is and yes it is fantastic something to watch someone uh you know like him in a in a marvel movie it's, exactly. it's amazing it's fantastic but not only him but you know, uh, Mayel, Mayel Cadena, 
No, and all these spaces, it's, I think it's important, definitely. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I, lo I love that and film. We celebrate it. Yes, huh? yeah. It was, that was a great film, too, and great representation. I like what he stands for, too, Tenoch Huerta. Like, he talks a lot about the colorism in, in Mexican, you know, TV and I mean, he's, and I mean, he's, he's, he's felt it, no? He's yes. felt it, you know, <laughs> right before, and he's, he's very open about it, and, you know, he gets in a... As I said, it's, it's once you get into that arena, it can become very problematic because, you know, you get yeah. the good and the bad. That's true. And it's like, you know, you suddenly you have to start using this word to, like, fend of attacks and everything and it's a complex matter but yeah. it's very important and i think uh, cinema is such an incredible language that it needs to be enriched and uh yes. showing you know ethnicities can only make it uh you know richer and not only showing that but also using stories from different uh, ethnic groups from different countries different uh it opens your eyes and your heart to you know different people different experiences but that somehow even if they don't look like you you feel you can connect at the end of time, at the end, cinema is not a place of ideas. It's a place of emotions. Films that really work make you feel something. They're only making you think something's wrong. At least that's I, that's my personal view. Yeah. You need to feel something. Yeah, Maybe. and feelings can go many places. But if you're feeling <laughs> something, good. Um, and what would you say for you? Like, um, I know you mentioned a couple recommendations, but. If you if you were to recommend a film for somebody that's getting intro introduced to the Mexican horror cinema, what would be a film you would recommend? Oh, you definitely should look for Muñecos Infernales, The Curse of the Doll People, for example. Okay. Or you know, A Witch Smear. Uh, what a be beautiful place! Look for Alucarda, definitely, because it will give you like a taste of like you know that we're talking 1970 in states. It came in 77, 1977. Uh, you know, a, a film that broke uh, with so many uh, things that Mexican cinema could do and actually dare to do, and this one went way beyond. So definitely, yeah. that, that that would be a big recommendation to go. But for example, there's like all the Taguara films. For example, even The Wind Is Afraid, which is something you yeah. can buy on, on Blu-ray right now, or The Scapula, which is a ghost story that are, you know, they're more classic, they're very Mexican, but they're very elegant films and they you know visually uh they're top-notch and uh yeah. they don't suffer many of the you know the, the low-budget stuff that plagues so many of our of our beautiful horror films these are like prime examples of uh, mexican horror narratives at their prime and yeah. they, i mean they're old movies yes of course but they're like they're they're majestic and they work fantastic yeah, like more like storytelling. Like, yeah, they're just like iconic. Exactly, but yeah. it's fantastic storytelling yeah. you know, that goes beyond the, the uh, you know, the borders. And I mean, and that those are that I'm giving a very classic, mm -hmm. uh, elegant example. But for example, we cannot mention, for example, The Brain, you know, which is yeah. a movie played by many of the things that, you know, critics like to point out of being bad. But this is such a bonkers movie. It's so <laughs> way out there that it just becomes better. And it's, you know, the fact that it has to send the time, uh, the influence people, you once you see the Brainiac, you do not forget about the Brainiac. <laughs> you know, it's it like gives you an imprint <laughs> on your brain yeah. and your heart. And it's just, how could they do it? How did they think they could get away with it? Well, they did. That's I, I, that, And that feeling of the bravado of going to that and saying, yeah, that's our monster. Oh, you laugh? Well, you're gonna laugh more. No, it's like <laughs> I'm gonna go all the way. 
And you know, and it's like the Spanish Inquisition puts this guy on trial, then he sees a comet and he says, I'm gonna come back with this uh, comet in 400 years and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna curse your bloodline. And he does come back <laughs> when, you know, 400 years later. And I mean, it's, it's a way out there idea. And, but yeah. it works. They make it work with the resources they had, they did it. Yeah. And the monster, I mean, that, that monster is like, you know, yeah, you just remember the cover. Like it always sticks with me. Like the cover, <laughs> even though I've only seen parts of it. Yeah. No, you should definitely please look at look for it because okay. it is. It also it also deals with like uh, it's seedy. I like that. You know, there's like the, the, he goes to this nightclub and the prostitutes. He attacks and the, but there's there's also the scientists and uh, you know there's it's perverse. It has like it goes into dark places and then yeah. it has. There's a glee to it, which is, I, I find that irresistible also. Like, <laughs> these guys knew what they were doing, and they're like, okay, we have this little space to work it, and we don't have the money, but okay, let's backdrops or front, back projection, and, you know, let's make illusions. I think that's very important, making illusions. Uh, it's, it's, I think that was something that was very important for a lot of Mexican filmmakers, creating illusions. Even yeah. if you could see that it was cardboard or it was the latest <laughs> thing to work, but, you know, if you take it, and you kind of let yourself go into into the experience, it becomes uh, gorgeous and you can really get lost into the narrative, which is, I think, the, the whole point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think Mexico was a little bit risky like in the beginning because I, I remember like Satanico Pandemonium, like that's like a non-exploitation, you know, film, but like in the late Enrique Rocha. But that one, like for me, was like, oh, I can't believe they even put this because like you said, it's like Mexico's like a Catholic, you know, country. But for example, you, you put that that were next to a Lugarda. And, and, yeah. and you can tell the difference between someone that kind of just say, okay, let's do an exploitation movie. Yeah. What are the what are the rules? What do we have to do? Kind of like, what would they, you know, what would they react to? But not really understanding it or believing it. You see a Lugarda on the other side. Oh my God. Yeah, it's with like someone different... who understood symbols that knew who, what would creep out and, and push the envelope. I mean, he was yeah. taking Goya paintings and doing them live, you know, and it's like suddenly, when, you know, it, it, it's freaky, it's freaky stuff. And he pushes <laughs> buttons and you react, it's like, oh shit, what am I watching? Whereas, you know, you see the devil, you know, as you say, the late Enrique Rocha, who's, you know, who's, yeah. you know, gorgeous man and very elegant, but you see him with this like colonial stuff and he's the devil, you're like, yeah. I mean, it doesn't convince you to that, <laughs> no? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Or you see a Lucarda going one of those fates, and then you see the satanic ceremony, and you're like, all right, that shit is happening. Yeah. And you see one of the nuns levitate and all of that. You know, this frenzy and blood is coming. And she's like, you know, even the nuns that look like bandaged mummies, it's just just from the costume design, it's just yeah, it's crazy. different. Yeah. You're in another realm. It takes yeah. you to a different, a, a different universe where this might might actually be happening. And I think that, that you mentioned that those two movies, I mean, one is from 1975, the other one's, I think, 74, but I mean, it's from yeah. the, it's that same era. And they yeah. give so different uh, yeah. experiences. And it also shows you, you know, film industry, and we have to forget, we cannot forget film industry, industry, it has to make money. There's certain, you know, wheels that need to turn. And, you know, exploitation depends on a lot of tropes that you have to, deliver certain things yeah. that's the way it works and uh but certain people do it better than others definitely 
and, and you can understand symbols and how you use them. And that's the beauty with like different uh, filmmakers. There's, there's, you know, there's certain filmmakers that kind of, you know, how to do it and they do it, you know, they follow the rules, they do it okay. And there's others that just, you know, get inspired and use those just as a starting point. And they just sometimes have little experiences that probably not even they knew they could get them go so high. I think all film directors really try to go there and yeah. and, and they don't get there. But that's the whole point of him of making movies because I'm sure nobody wants to make a shitty movie. Yeah. There's probably one or two. But yeah. everyone wants to do something that's, you know, a good experience, something that you want to watch and that it's you know, it gives you it makes you feel something. Yeah. But it doesn't happen yeah. all the time. That's kind of the risk and the the the, the, the you know the, the why you should do it because you never know. That's Sometimes true. you know probably shitty movies ended up doing what could be a shitty movie on paper ended up being a jewel and then stuff that looked on paper like a you know sure uh, hit ended up doing something that was like oh my god what did you do it just you know there's so many things when you put so many people to do a movie people also forget uh, we we have this problem we always talk about films made by one person the director which I mean I know I'm complicit of that but I'm working on an opening also we have to cannot forget filmmakers actors so many people yeah, the talents the, the passion and, yeah. and the uh the knowledge and the craft of so many come together to make this illusion to create illusions no going back to that yeah. create illusion this is happening right before your eyes this thing that is not real it's suddenly real because you're watching it and it's making you feel something and i think that, that that's that's where the magic happens in cinema and i keep and i know mm -hmm. i keep using that word but this is what when it happens it is because it's there yeah that's true and it makes the intangible you know yeah and talking about that and, and I also like that's what I love about you know fantasy and horror you yeah. know so, something usually that is kind of trapped within the realm of, of, of fantasy and imagination suddenly it's made tangible real yeah like the the, the characters become real and to you talking about that like, like the crazy stuff so things that, you, that should not happen or they tell you all the true. time they're not real and you're like well uh, and what would you say your favorite like uh, like horror villain or hero is from either in Mexican or or the states? Well, for example, I have to say I have a deep, profound love for the fly. The fly, the Cronenberg's fly. Yes. To me, it's like that stuff is like you know, you you know, Seth Brundling is like sticky part when he's like that part when uh, Gina Davis you know embraces him and he's like all sticky and loving. Yeah, that shit like it gets me so hard at so many levels. And I could only watch I mean, that once a year because it's like so that film's so sad. Like it's like a love story, really? you know? It's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. It, it just it touches on so many things and also about relationships because mm -hmm. you can watch that film and it has so many facets. And I think that as you grow up and you start developing, you know, you start growing and you learn you start yeah. seeing things on those films and that on that film more and more and more. Yeah. I mean, the fear, the pregnancy stuff, the fear of like what you might be carrying. Or think, oh my god, I think that yeah. it really, it's 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 a nerve. Um, I mean, also from from you know the era. I mean, and you, yeah. it's obvious you're you you were very uh, touched by that. But for example, Freddy Krueger. Yeah. <laughs> Wes Craven touched. I mean, he really touched genius on that. Yeah. No? Of like you know something nightmares. You know, are you know something that goes through dreams. Yeah. demon you know like entity 
that's tough. Yeah, and we all got to sleep, so it's like that's even the scariest exactly, thing. Exactly. No, and, and also, <laughs> I think he touched on a very like teenage primordial angst mm-hmm. that it's you know when you're a teenager you have it, and, and and he touched on that, and I think that's why it's always so scary. It keeps on growing, and and, and I mean yes, the studios went in with it, but it's it's a brilliant idea. It's a yeah. brilliant. Idea. Yeah. No. Um, that's it. But for example, I don't know, there's so many, and I think, yeah. you know, depending on where you want to look, where you want to, you know, there's so many stories that can captivate you. For example, there's some there's a movie called The Changeling uh, by Peter oh, Medak yeah. with mm-hmm. George C. Scott, and it's a, a, a ghost story. Oh, my God, that that film to me is so elegant and deep, and, and I think one of the best, you know, ghost stories ever made. And it's not very popular, you know. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's well it known, it's following, respected, yeah. but it's genius. And I mean, the fact that it kind of recently got a decent uh, Blu-ray release by Severin Films. Big shout out to uh, Severin Films. Um, it's it, you know, and I cannot understand why that movie is not more popular. For example, yeah, <laughs> I, I, because it's just it's, it's it's brilliant, and the idea of this of ghosts and like energy that gets trapped. Yeah, and and, the, and and then sorrow, sorrow that is just so mighty, so intense and deep that needs to 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 express itself somehow, and that it's it, it gets absorbed by spaces, by a house, and that there's people that are more you know sensitive to that versus the other. Yeah, those you no. Know. Yeah. But for yeah. example, I mean, we we just talked you know Mex uh, we were talking Mexican, those are American, but for example. The, the the Japanese and ghosts, they do oh, ghosts yeah. really, really well. And also, yes. like, the whole, you know, their culture, what they bring, the ambience, the atmospheres that they create, like the thing with the cats, like ghost cats, oh, my God. <laughs> huh? They do it like, they do it like nobody. I mean, and it's very particular to, to, to their culture. And you can yeah. connect to it. And and I loved, I loved when I, you know, first watching stuff like that. I was like, Wow, I mean, and they did it in the sixties. Then they did, you know, the whole thing in the eighties. I mean, it's like, I think it's funny how the each country has uh, its cycles. I think yeah, I, the I little really Renaissance, like yeah. cycles. Yeah. Yeah. The they kind of get Renaissance. very popular. <laughs> yeah, and they they break out the whole suddenly the whole world's like, oh my god, J horror or Korean yeah. horror, or Mexican horror, and it's like you know they they suddenly become aware of these terms, yeah. new flavor. And you know, it takes a while. There's American remake, and and I think it's very healthy for everybody, for the American industry, for the you know, for the for the you know, each culture that gets you know uh, absorbed in, sort of into the, the mainstream. Let's say yeah. like that. Uh, and eventually, that uh, interest dies down. Many years pass, nobody, and then somebody does it, or another country, and then the, it it gets. It's, it cycles, no? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I feel like like for for a time, like the last couple of years, I thought like Korean and like Argentina were doing like really awesome job with like their their horror films. But like I said, it takes kind of turns, like it cycles through. And it cycles, and, it, and it's funny. Sometimes you know, you you want to keep on going, like oh, five movies in a row. And if that can happen from a you know <laughs> from a country, it'd be incredible. It's so it's so hard to keep like an output of at a certain. Uh, level of intensity and quality. I mean, the people try to, to do that. It's just, as I said, it's a hit and miss. Like, you know, yeah. uh, movies are, you know, 
they're living entities. You try to make them, you bring the best ingredients, the best people, and sometimes it works. Other times it doesn't, but the movie's there. Yeah. And you can always go back and revisit it. And I mean, that's one of the things, uh, I think when you're into, into horror films, one of the beauties is to, to open up your, 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 your eyes, your spirit, to different countries, different types. And yeah. I love, for example, the people that are always like, I want to find more. I want to discover. That's one of the, the treats of doing this for me. Yeah. No? I, I, I tend to, to, to not feel very trusty people. There's like, oh, I know everything. And you're going to show me. And it's like, come on. We can all, there's always something new, something sure. that you haven't watched. There's so many movies from all over the world. And uh, even if we've seen them, sometimes watching them again might bring us a new perspective. So it's good to keep yeah. fresh and to kind of keep the, yeah, to keep the, you know, an eye open and the spirit open. Once you, I think one of the, the pitfalls is when you try to get is like, oh, I know this. And you try to, you know, everything. <laughs> you kind of strict and stern uh, yeah. into what is good, what is bad. It's like, you need to be flexible on that because there's so many, not only new things happening, but there's some, sometimes stuff that we don't know about. Yeah, it's so bad. Really, our our, our the the print the footprint of, of films is so big, and it, I mean, and on that note, it's so sad how many movies get lost. Yeah, so many. Like one of the horrible things that I found when I was uh, when I was preparing Mexico, is certain jewels are like some are tight because of rights issues, but some are lost. Like there's no copy. Like somehow. I mean, Alucarda, one of the negatives of Alucarda, which was one of the important ones, was burned. Oh, wow. Burned. Lost forever. And, you know, we we have the we have the hope that there's one somewhere in the world. But, yeah. you know, I really looked this year and I couldn't find it. Wow. So, it's like, you know, so it, I also, because of that, you know, talking about these films from the past, Kind of keeping them alive in terms of okay we have like a screening copy or like let's do a, a new copy a new version and a 2k a 4k it's important you know certain people dismiss this idea of collections and and and, and just gathering movies to keep them in the, in the closet but also like it's safekeeping our memory our you know all these stories passions of people that were yeah. imprinted into cellular or now pixels it's just like it's like with books, no? Yeah. You open a book and it's like, you know, it's not alive, it's there, it looks cool. But then you open it and it's like the passion of the person who did it is there and they yeah. will transport you. And it's magical. And you know, I think it's important to to say keep movies. And I think that's why, you know, film archive, museum, cinematex, uh, anybody, like all these Blu-ray labels that do amazing work keeping stuff. Yeah. Last year I worked with Indicator series of uh, uh, Blu-ray outfit from from england and they do tremendous job and for example their love for mexican cinema and the interest now is something that i not only applaud, applaud but i'm you know working with them because yeah. they they understood uh this uh they understood the, the the stuff that was there and how it needed to come out and, and there's an audience for it yeah. all over the world and they're like okay we're gonna take time and resources to bring it out and to make people aware of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. I think like vinegar syndrome is another one where they, they also. Oh, yeah, vinegar right? syndrome. Does. I mean, for example, the 80s. I think nobody took better, better care of 80s horror than the, the stuff they did with uh, the Familia Galindo stuff. Eh, yeah. Cementerio del, 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 del Terror. Ladrones, este, de Ladrones de Tumbas. No? Eh, yeah. Amazing. So those movies probably have never looked better in their life. I know. Ever. The, like, the one you should try to get is. Southern Blu rays? Yeah. No, but I have to tell you, when uh -huh. I saw their Blu-ray, I was uh -huh. like, oh shit, I've never seen these movies because I've seen shitty copies yeah. of those. Or like on the TV. <laughs> and looking at, uh, you know, their vinegar syndrome, you're like, whoa. So yes, no, outstanding work. For example, also in the States, there's this outfit called ACFA, the American Underground Film Archive. I salute those people, the, how they do it and all their restoration and the care, the care they, uh, they take of the stuff. We yeah. had a the La Bruja they 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 they, they back there from um, mm -hmm. you see right, right there La Bruja mm -hmm. uh, by uh, Chano Rueta. It was one of those jewels that you know uh, it cannot have been there and not too much love had been given to that movie. And I think it's a crucial movie. The maker, for example, it is years uh, beyond what like people are used to. And it was crazy, the guy who did the special effects on that, he was a wax expert. So all the appliances are really wax. It's wow. not latex. And it just, it, it looks different and gray, and it's just radical, you see it and it's like, and also it's a perverse movie and it's like, it's a revenge story with lots of heart, lots of, uh, lots of angst and it's, it's a, it, and it's against Big Pharma. Imagine a movie from 1954 against Big Pharma. Wow. With great special effects and like, you know, facial deformation and all these ideas of like self-worth or who am I because of how I look, which is something that right now we're That's, like deeply yeah. sensitive to. 1954, they were doing it and they were pushing the envelope. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> and it's delightful. No? It's like, I, I love to think of these movies as like, you know, time portals. Yeah. They, they bring you, they, they bring you to that moment, to that culture, what the world looked like how they dress at that particular point in time and you feel that but then we look at from the lens of right now and it just it is it, it enriches and it makes a lot of things uh, seem new different and it makes you question a lot yeah because it's like so I, relevant. you can see i like i really <laughs> dig doing this and i think just yeah. the the pleasures of, of of growing up of expanding and uh, not only the knowledge but like you understanding of of the culture of the world uh, and my own culture, for example, now that I've been you know, so deeply invested in this, I keep finding out details or information and my idea what Mexican cinema is, how it works, all the time it's growing, growing, mm -hmm. no? I, yeah. I, I really like to, under, to, to feel now that uh, it's, it's an ever-growing facet that keeps changing whenever, you know, I'm sure that, you know, that they asked me two years ago about this, I would probably say something different because it keeps changing. Yeah, and I think that's probably. a trait. You also, you need to be open to change, to flexibility, and, 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 and to evolution. Yeah. To stay no, on the same thing. Boring. Yeah, and it's pretty, like like I said, inspiring and, and really um, amazing, the, like, the work you're doing because as, like, a film, you know, lover myself, like you said, there's some films that may never see the light of day, but even, like, just bringing recognition to those and, sharing your knowledge it's like it's really cool to see that and i want to thank you again like you know for taking the time to to meet with me and share your your knowledge and your love for 
for the genre and keeping it alive. Um, is there anything else I missed that you wanted to like? I don't know if you're working on anything new or anything, any projects that you can share. Well, before we go into that, I do, for example, I want to say what you do, for example, is so important, no? Because yeah. you're, you know, you're in the states, but you do not forget about your like Mexican uh, heritage, and not only do you celebrate it through, you know, the, the horror thing, but also like you work as an artist, you know, and how you record and you take Mexican horror le legends and you like infuse your work with that. I think that's beautiful. Like Thank this, you. Uh, you know, from the past to the present, the, the thing we were talking about, time portals, mm -hmm. no? Yeah. You know, things you probably, you know, learn from your abuela and you're weaving it with the woman that you are right now and what yeah. it means probably now. And I think that's fantastic how we update these things and we yeah. can we keep them alive and yeah. i think that's fantastic and you're like i remember from the first time I, I became aware of what you were doing i was like whoa that's that and <laughs> you can tell it from the heart and from you know yeah. you deeply care in this and i think that's the the best way to keep on doing this is like we love doing it we're you know we're hoping we can make a living out of uh, yeah exactly of, because we do this but yeah. it's, you kind of keep it forward and then you start finding oh this one this person hears me this person understands it this yeah. person is interested and little by little we we communicate and i think that's a, that, that's really beautiful and i, I really want to celebrate and you know applaud the work you do and Thank the you. fact that you you know <laughs> you want to listen to this stuff you want to bring it to your to your audience i love it because yeah. i mean let's be frank not too many people are interested in this and and yeah. it's it's important to to be able to have uh places to to share this yeah you know this is my crib you know uh, and I love, you know, being able to share this uh, emotion from stuff that you do from, you know, looking at tons of movies, looking at tons of books and going to the archives and, uh, and knowing that there's an audience in the States to this that yeah. might, you know, inspire them to look for more Mexican movies or to read more, to, to investigate. It's beautiful because you never know where, who you're going to touch, who you can, uh, you know, open a portal to someone. And I think these portals need to be shared. No? Exactly. So yeah, yeah, that's basically. And in terms of uh, <laughs> projects, I'm working really hard on uh, bringing some of these movies to get them uh, some uh, Blu-ray releases. You know, okay. you know, I think, as I said, what these companies are doing: Indicator, Severing, uh, you know, uh, Fractured Visions, Arrow, uh, Vinegar Syndrome. It's it's fantastic, and that they're taking a, an interest in Mexican movies, and and, and if we can save them and i and i really want to use that no save them because yeah they can be forgotten they can be you know as i said some movies are lost negatives get lost they get damaged nobody cares about them and when there's this interest and we can you know bring them back to life it's you know we can offer them for the next you know generation so they, yeah i'm very uh keen on doing that and hopefully also bringing more of these movies to a theatrical experience Right now that, you know, the, the way we consume, we, we, yeah, we consume entertainment, it's still very early, but it's going to be a huge change because definitely how you experience a movie from watching it into your home or your cell phone to, to a theater, it is very different. Yes. So anytime we can make a theatrical experience to one of these movies, it's something we need to do or something I will, you know, work hard to do. So that's cool those, yeah, those are the, yeah. I'm, you know, i have a couple of book pro, uh, book projects that i'm working very hard on those but okay. those are very very hard the the <laughs> yeah the discipline yeah 
but yes, we're working we're slowly working on, on, on those that are hopefully will come up next year uh, Perfect. so we can uh, share not only uh my you know crazy energy uh, uh on live presentations <laughs> uh, and, and recorded but also hopefully on, on a written form that's really exciting congrats on that yeah like keep me posted and then anyway like i said i can support you or anything like that let me know like i'm always down to like help and spread the word thank you so very much as i said you know i'm delighted and uh, honored to be uh, sharing uh, all these stories with you all right thank you so much all right thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of nightmare on Sedgwick avenue um if you like this episode go ahead and subscribe and also follow Aullidos Pantioneros, um his um instagram and all that i'll have it on the description so yeah thank you guys